Well, there's the music, and that's my cue. It tells me it's time to start the program. I'm Jerry Kenny. This is WISO's weekly radio magazine. Thanks for joining us. On today's program, we've got more to share from our listeners who have participated in our Alone Together project. That's where you tell us how you're coping with the COVID-19 crisis. Producer Renee Wild is back with our rural reporting series, County Lines. And in the best of Dayton News Radio, a teenager talks about the effects of divorce on a family. Right now, the state of Ohio is being recognized at the national level for the efforts state officials have made in not only flattening the curve or peak of COVID-19 cases in the state with steps they've put in place since the outbreak started, but also for their effectiveness in communicating with Ohioans through their daily press conferences. That praise should also be given to many, many groups here in the Miami Valley who are stepping up to help during the pandemic. Shoes for the Shoeless is a local nonprofit that's usually out there making sure that kids who need shoes get a pair. But now the coronavirus has changed so many things, so they've turned their attention to making sure everyone in the community gets enough to eat. WISO's Jason Reynolds has the story. Chris Horlacher is standing in First Baptist Church in Kettering, looking over hundreds of boxes of food. Her team will spend the day distributing those boxes to hungry families. Each box has enough food for three weeks. I'm looking at 2,100 meals, roughly. The drivers aren't here yet, so right now it's organizing. Uh, It's organizing, getting ready. Chris is the executive director of Shoes for the Shoeless. She realized that the kids she normally reaches out to, the ones who desperately need shoes, are probably in need of meals now, the ones they normally get at school. And kids like these and their families probably wouldn't have any way to get to a food distribution center. That's when she started asking for food donations and delivery drivers. And now churches across the Miami Valley are getting involved. They've pooled their resources, and they're delivering to the elderly, the disabled, and just about anyone in need. What's happening where I am today is happening at Living Word Church, Southbrook, Fairhaven. They are being brought food by their partner churches. It is a mass gathering to feed thousands and thousands of the most vulnerable people in our community that are falling through the cracks. Food for Families has also set up a telephone tree. Every day, volunteers make calls to seniors, the homebound, and other people who live alone just to make sure they're okay. For WISO News, I'm Jason Reynolds. And when Governor Mike DeWine sounded the alarm about a dangerous shortage of masks, gowns, and other personal protective equipment in Ohio, an army of volunteers mobilized to help meet that need, a need that's growing fast. WISO's Jess Mador reports the urgency has sewing machines across the Miami Valley buzzing. Before the coronavirus pandemic hit, Deborah Howard ran the costume shop at the Human Race Theater Company in Dayton. Now she spends her days in front of her home sewing machine. She's among the countless numbers of newly minted mask makers coast to coast racing around the clock to produce face coverings for first responders on the front lines of the pandemic. We're going to need millions of them. And since I'm not able to work on our actual productions, this is a great use of my time. I'm thrilled to be doing it. The masks she's making are not the N95 medical-grade ones health officials say are most needed to protect doctors, nurses, and health workers. Howard's following a pattern for cotton masks. They look similar to the ones now recommended by the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the kind that hang from the ears by elastic to cover the wearer's nose and mouth. It requires such a small piece of fabric that we've been able to use lots of scraps, lots of things that we've set aside maybe to make a pocket with, you know. 
It's been common over the last few weeks to hear Governor Mike DeWine describe the state's response to the coronavirus as a war. Howard says today's mask-making efforts remind her of other times in history when ordinary American citizens went into service, especially, she says, World War II. People would save hubcaps, donate scrap metals, and I think there was a time when people were crocheting bandages. So this is the same idea, just a different expression. And for some creative freelancers unemployed during the stay-at-home order, volunteering is a welcome chance to stay busy while deploying their skills for a good cause. Heather Powell is a Springboro-based director and former prop master. I think a lot of us just get stuck and useless at home right now, even though that's the most useful thing we can be doing is staying home. So I think this just gave everybody a little boost of energy of being useful in this time. Powell and some out-of-work theater friends are coordinating to fix thousands of faulty N95 masks for the Ohio Health Department. She says she had no trouble recruiting people to sew. Several of these people are out of work, but they have a sewing machine and they've got a collection of thread and they're willing to pitch in and help. I think I have like three costume designers and stitchers. Um, The prop master at Wright State said yes. I've got a couple of stage managers on board. But it's not just theater people who are making masks in Dayton. Andrew Bennett and his wife run a small Beaver Creek business making weighted blankets and sensory products for people with autism, PTSD, anxiety. His wife also works in a pharmacy, and Bennett says she and her co-workers were on the job for weeks without protection against the coronavirus. They didn't have masks. So her co-workers, knowing that she was pretty crafty and used to sewing, they asked her if she could make masks for them. And from that point on, she just realized, oh, well, this is something that's really easy to do. You know, with her penchant for sewing anyway, she can crank out, you know, seven or eight masks in an hour. With only essential businesses open across the state, Bennett's business is slow. He says he and his wife took a look at their stockpile of fabric and decided to use it to crank out masks for other people whose jobs put them at high risk for infection. Our goal was for the community first before hospitals. So we started talking to people who were either home health aides or worked at nursing homes, people at pharmacies, people at grocery stores, and people with just generally weak immune systems. Bennett posted about the masks on his company's Facebook page to get the word out. Since then, he says demand has been overwhelming. We've had people respond from as far away as Colorado, Pennsylvania, people in Florida, as well as a ton of people here in the local community. There are people who need masks all over the country, and if we're equipped to deal with it, that's one way we can kind of help out the community in the situation we're in. Bennett and his wife are careful about social distancing. They distribute their masks without any face-to-face contact for free. Bennett says they plan to continue making masks for as long as they're needed. For WYSO, I'm Jess Mador. You're listening to 91.3 WYSO. I'm Jerry Kenny. Thanks for joining us. Today we have more of the voicemails our listeners have shared with us for our ongoing project, Alone Together. It's where we ask you to tell us how you're getting through the pandemic, how it's affecting you at work or at home, and what tips or suggestions you might have for others. Check it out. Hi, this is uh, Wes Higginson calling uh, about uh, my circumstance. Uh, Two weeks ago, I adopted two parakeets, and I've never had pet birds before. I named them after two characters from the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, uh, Pete and Delmar. 
since then, I've been uh, have reduced work hours, and I'm spending a lot of time with my new friends. I'm teaching them to say O-H. The I-O response will have to wait as I cannot separate those two. Hi, WISO listeners. My name is Elizabeth Sandu, and I'm a proud member of WISO's Community Advisory Board. I live with my family in Troy and wanted to share how my neighborhood has come alive in the last week, probably a lot like yours. We've never seen so many neighbors out and about, walking their dogs, riding bikes, going for a run. We all take a quick second to smile and wave from a distance and go back to enjoying the fresh air. It truly feels like we are a better connected community, despite everything going on. Thanks, Wiso, for keeping us connected to our community and our world. We're all in this, alone together. Maria Robinson said, Nobody can go back and start a new beginning, but anyone can start today and make a new ending. Our family really did lean into this quote. We decided to host a family meeting. The boys came together and decided to grill out so that meal prep would be taken care of for at least four or five days. The kids created their own schedules. Dad tweaked them a little. But there's no pressure. We're all just getting done what we can get done. We're thankful that a few of the children's extracurricular activities are being held virtually. Yay! We're appreciating this beautiful time that we have together, but we have also built in time and space for us to do what it is that we want to do individually. This is supporting us as parents with completing, designing, identifying resources and projects to help sustain and continue to grow who we are and what we're becoming as a family. We send you radiant prayers of health, universal healing, and remember to do a self-check and check in on friends and family. Cheers to a productive week wherever you are. And just think, you get to define productive. Even though we're alone, we are together. Peace. My name is Sierra Leone. Hi, this is Kelsey Peck calling for Alone Together. I am currently getting ready to move across several states all by myself because I have the great uh, misfortune of buying a house before all of this hit. But my husband is in the military, so I have to do this with my special needs son by myself. Um, And so to de-stress at night while doing social distancing, my friends and my husband and I have been playing a game called Jackbox on uh, Discord and streaming it so we can all feel like we're hanging out together and laughing and kind of forgetting about how crazy everything is just a little bit and it's been really good to feel a sense of normalcy and socialization despite the distance. My name is Noreen Wilhelm and I am a member of the WYSO Community Advisory Board. I live in Jefferson Township in western Montgomery County, an area which could be the community's breadbasket in the coming years. I'm grateful for WYSO and all it's done over the last 60 years to build community in our region. Thank you, WYSO. Hi, WYSO family and Nina, thanks for reaching out, asking us to share how we're 
navigating through these difficult times. Uh, first of all, um, this is Karen from Coco's Bistro, and I'm navigating because I'm listening to YSO and your news source, and I certainly appreciate you. I reached out to one of my female priestesses, goddess friends that I know, and she wrote a little prayer that's been helping me through some of my darker times, and I wanted to share it. I fully trust and surrender to the divine cosmic plan that always supports my best interests and unveils to me the path that leads me to discovering my highest authentic expression and truth that I contribute to the uplift collective. I trust, I surrender and release the thoughts and fears that do not serve and nourish my greatest potential. I feel and set with these fears, but I do not contribute additional thought to give root to growing fears. I release them and solutions come through the space that is created through this release. So thanks for allowing us to listen to you. Thanks for allowing us to share uh, blessings. Hi, my name is Andy Snow. I'm a photographer. I have lived in Dayton for more than 40 years. It's my hometown now. Last week was the 107th anniversary of an unexpected cataclysm, the Great Flood of 1913. It devastated the Miami Valley up and down the river. This synchronicity with the coronavirus outbreak is beyond imagination. Yet I believe that the recovery from the flood is positive proof that our community is strong and resilient. And let's recall the events of last summer with all that went down here in Dayton. We responded with strength and grace. Our resiliency is steeled in an artful, artisan, creative community. It's the DNA of so many here. We lift up our beloved communities. Together, we are not alone. Those are just some of the messages we've received from you, our listeners, for our ongoing project, Alone Together. We're looking for your stories as well. Leave us a voicemail on our listener line, 937-769-1374, or email a voice memo from your cell phone to alonetogether at wyso.org. A lot of our listeners expressing faith in the good things that are going on in these difficult days. This month is a special one for people of many faiths, and not being able to gather has been a concern for those who find fellowship to be comforting and even necessary in tough times. Ohio Public Radio's Karen Kassler reports faith leaders are finding unique ways to reach out to their congregations. Worship is different these days, no matter the faith. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shalom. It is so good to be together this Shabbat evening. We thank you for our, our, our health, the strength that you have given us. I pray that you all well. Peace and love to all of you. Uh, I've, I've missed all of you, of course. It's been a long time since we've seen each other uh, in person. Most houses of worship in Ohio have closed, some before the state's stay-at-home order was issued on March 23rd. And Governor Mike DeWine, a devout Catholic, says he's not going to take further action. We're not going to interfere with your First Amendment rights to practice your religion. But I don't know any religion that teaches that you should do things that endanger, seriously endanger, other people. 
One of those places that shut down before the shutdown order is Temple Tefereth Israel in Beechwood, east of Cleveland. Rabbi Jonathan Cohen says there were concerns about the health of congregants who had traveled. And he says with Passover underway, he knows it's difficult because there are people who are isolated and some who don't have easy access to health care and support. And Cohen calls this a multi-generational crisis affecting everyone from kids to the elderly. This is the need of the hour. This is the call of the moment. And we really must take it seriously. It's not only our own well-being. It is not only the well-being of our family members, of our friends, of our close ones and our loved ones. This is a moment of civic responsibility. Broad Street Presbyterian Church in Columbus changed its regular live stream services from the sanctuary into videos recorded by staff members from home and shared on Facebook. Reverend Amy Miracle says she's been doing a Bible study on Zoom and using calls and emails to reach out, and even stood on someone's front lawn for a conversation. And she says she's glad Holy Week, the most sacred time in the Christian calendar culminating in Easter Sunday, is coming at this time. We need a week where we're intentionally focusing on um, our relationship with God, um, our relationship to one another, um, and uh, that's really needed right now. And Miracle mentions the church has tried to keep its food pantry open and stocked, which is also the story for other faith-based pantries, including those in the Muslim community. Ramadan is one of the holiest periods of the year for Muslims. It starts on April 23rd and is usually a communal time of prayer, service, and food. Amina Bahumi with the Council on American-Islamic Relations says most mosques have been doing services on Facebook and Zoom, but a real concern has been how to reach immigrants in their congregations who struggle to get information in their languages. We don't have a lot of material that's translated either through the state or federal level, um, and so we're having to be able to do that because very often marginalized communities, communities who are new immigrants, are in particular need um, of the help and, you know, the resources and opportunities that are being laid out. Catholics around the world have been celebrating Mass online for weeks. But Secretary and Vicar for Clergy and Religious for the Diocese of Cleveland, Father Dan Schlegel, says cathedrals and churches are open for private prayer, with no more than 10 people in at a time. Priests are using technology to reach out. And he says some passed out palm fronds and prayer packets at drive-ups on Palm Sunday. Schlegel even heard of a priest blessing people in his community from the bed of a pickup truck. These are ways that people are thinking outside the box creatively to abide by the rules. I think it is uh, irresponsible to gather people together as that church is doing in southern Ohio. Schlegel is talking about the Solid Rock Church in Monroe, north of Cincinnati, which is still doing in-person services in spite of pleas from local officials. The pastor has fired back at those publicly denouncing his church, saying no one's complaining about people crowding into stores. But the latest stay-at-home order extended to May 1st says stores must limit the number of customers inside them. Karen Kessler at the Ohio Public Radio Statehouse News Bureau. This Easter morning, for the first time since 1942, there was no sunrise Easter service gathering at Carillon Historical Park in Dayton. For 78 consecutive years, the sunrise service at Deeds Carillon has been a Dayton tradition, but Governor DeWine's stay-at-home order prohibits public gatherings because of the coronavirus epidemic. The Easter service, though, is available for viewing at Carillon Historical Park's Facebook page, on its website, and on YouTube.
You're listening to 91.3 WISO. I'm Jerry Kenny. Thanks for joining us this Sunday morning. Ohio's stay-at-home order has led citizens to look for coping mechanisms to stave off boredom and fear over the virus. County Lines producer Renee Wild lives in rural Greene County and shares this unique way her husband is dealing with this and how it parallels what another Miami Valley resident did during the Great Depression. I gathered rocks. Yeah. That one's pretty wild looking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful stone. Yeah. And stones are free. Stones are <laughs> So, you stones know. Stones are free. Here we are, not spending money, having a blast. There's a green one in that glass patch. My husband is dumping another load of rocks onto the front porch. This has become his daily routine during Ohio's stay-at-home order. In between working from home and scraping paint off of our crusty old farmhouse, He's been taking breaks to climb over the fence and into the farm field adjacent to our house, scouring the field for interesting small rocks, which he then loads into two canvas tote bags and carries back. From way, way, way out in the cornfield. How much do you think those bags weigh? Um, my guess is those are 80 pounds a bag. So they're super heavy, and it sucks really bad to haul them back. Then why do you keep doing it? Because they're really beautiful, and they're free. And, you know, uh, future projects. They're really beautiful. Yeah, I hit the mother load. It looks like there was some kind of creek bed. Oh no, quarter mile out into the field. And that's where the best ones are. In this round here, the red ones are the hardest to find. The variety pack, like the cool green and white one, um, those are harder to find. Lots of white ones. So this little batch out there, way, way, way out there, was chock full of things that had red in them. So I got a bunch. That one's almost perfect. In the past, He's used these field-gathered stones to make perfectly smooth conical cairns on our property. A cairn is a man-made stack of stones, used since prehistoric times, typically as landmarks. Right now I'm just placing my rocks along the edge of my porch uh, in kind of a nice, about a foot wide row. Some of the little ones are layered to fill the voids created where the big ones kind of intermingle. It's very attractive. It is very attractive. And it's very satisfying for my OCD to try to keep the edges of a bunch of funky, irregular, roundy kind of rocks as even as I can. This is all reminding me of another similar situation during another stressful time in U.S. history that involves a local Miami Valley man. It's actually the first radio story that I ever made back in 2013 about a folk art roadside attraction called the Hartman Rock Garden. Located behind a house in a quiet suburban Springfield neighborhood, just 15 minutes from our place. Here's a piece of that tape, which includes a guided tour of one man's attempt to stay busy during a time of massive layoffs. This is where it all began. This is uh, the beginning of the, the hobby going wild. It was the Great Depression. Ben Hartman, like many others, had lost his job. He began looking for a project to occupy his time, and that's when he started collecting rocks. After eight years and a lot of coffee, his backyard became a shrine that expressed his personal views on family, religion, and patriotism. Ben harvested the materials for his creations from the stream that ran behind his property, rubbish piles, and donations from friends and visitors. He was also known to send his kids out with buckets after the streets had been freshly graveled to collect the rocks off the road. We don't know how many stones or rock were used to build this. Uh, ben always said about 20,000 to build a tree of life. So we start adding these all up. There were, there were a lot of, lot of rocks. 
check out the Hartman Rock Garden website while you're stuck at home. It's a pretty impressive testimony to how one man dealt with the adversity of the times. It took Ben Hartman eight years to transform his backyard. My husband has only been at it for two weeks. But as this pandemic drags on, who knows? We might end up with our own roadside attraction, or at least some cool yard art. Again, uh, not looking at my phone, not freaking out, not wearing a mask, just kind of doing this thing and having a moment that just is kind of satisfying. For WYSO, I'm County Lines producer Renee Wild. Everything's just better with rocks. County Lines is made possible by a grant from Ohio Humanities. This story was created at the Eichelberger Center for Community Voices at WYSO. Today on the Best of Dayton Youth Radio, we have a story from Dalen McKinney from Ponent's Career Technology Center in Dayton. McKinney was a senior when this story first aired two years ago. He wanted to deal with a topic that a lot of our high school kids are grappling with, the effects of divorce on a family. I'm Dalen McKinney, and I'm 17. I'm a former athlete. I used to play basketball for opponents, and I played from freshman to JV. And then I stopped playing. One thing that was cool about playing basketball in high school is my family came to all my games. One time I missed a layup, and I heard all my brothers and my mom and dad yelling at me like, come on, you're supposed to make that. It's a bunny. <laughs> it meant a lot to me because I know they really care about how I play. A lot of my teammates on the basketball team don't have fathers. You know, that's one thing that bothers me, the lack of fathers in homes. Just like any other household, we had a lot of static or turmoil in the house. There were also good times along with the bad. On the weekends, we would all sit in my mom and dad's bed and watch TV, or we would all watch a movie together. My mom and dad were really silly and goofy, and sometimes they would play fight. And my dad would tickle her because my mom is extremely ticklish. Whenever my dad would start tickling my mom, she would call me and my brother's name and we would come running into the room and we would wrestle my dad to get him off of her. I remember my parents would never argue in front of me and my brother. They would always argue in the living room or in their bedroom with the door shut. I began to notice the fights between my parents were happening more and more often. There was a time me and my brother were chilling in his room playing video games. So me and my brother heard my parents' door slam. And we was like, here they go again. They're about to argue again. They come out, and we hear my mom yelling. And I see my dad getting in his car and pulling off. I asked my mom, where's my dad going? So she's saying, like, he has to go. He, he just has to go. I began to get upset. Me and my brother were getting upset, and I start crying. I began to immediately start thinking the words, like, my dad's not coming back. My dad's gone. He's really leaving me forever. You know what I'm saying? I'm 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 a young kid, so, you know, kids automatically think the worst. I went home and interviewed my mom to ask some questions about this day, um, what the argument was about that night. One time when we were younger, Dad actually left that night. Do you remember? I do. Life is hard. Especially when me and DJ were younger. <laughs> yeah. There was lots of arguing in the home. Yeah, that's because, you know, somebody didn't have a job or, you know, maybe we weren't ready for whatever life brought our way. I would never lie to you and tell you marriage is easy because it is not. But I knew that he wasn't leaving us for good. I just knew that he needed to cool off because I don't think I was going to stop. I still to this day don't know what that argument was about, but I still remember it. You've been holding that all these years, 
it bothers me that you didn't come to me or your dad to get that resolved. I hate that. I'm sorry about that. When I wake up in the morning, I see my dad walking into the bathroom. And I'm like, what are you doing here? I thought you were gone. And he turns around and puts his finger over his mouth and gives me that shh face. That was a real good moment for me because I thought, wow, my dad must really care about me. And I knew to him keeping the family together and him raising me and my brother was really important to him. It seems like it's normal for black teens my age to not have a father in the household. And I feel like that's kind of weird because in the vows, don't it say, till death do us part, through sickness and health, through whatever, rich or poor. You don't know. I I don't know. I'm only a teenager. I don't know nothing about that marriage stuff. You know, my dad's not an emotional person, and he doesn't really talk a lot. But through his actions, he's always shown that he's loved me, and he's always shown that he cares about me. I really appreciate that. Thanks, Dad. For Dayton Youth Radio at Polish Career Technology Center, this is Daylon McKinney. That was a story called A Full House, written and produced by Daylon McKinney, a senior at Ponent's Career Technology Center. Special thanks to Jeffrey Crowell and Joanne Viscup. For Dayton Youth Radio, this is Basine Blunt. This story originally aired in 2018. Support for Dayton Youth Radio comes from the Virginia W. Kettering Foundation, the Ohio Arts Council, and the Vectoran Foundation. I'm Jerry Kenny. That's it for this edition of Wiseau Weekend on 91.3 WYSO. Join us again next Sunday morning at 10. And coming up now on this public radio station, it's Vic McCunis with The Book Nook.